0: This is germ warfare—the battle of ideas. Take me back to the start: the creation of the CIA and its purpose.
1: Okay, well, the CIA evolved out of the OSS. You in World War II, uh, you had the Office of Strategic Service that was created by Franklin Roosevelt, and Wild Bill Donovan was the first director. And you know, Donovan had a close Wall Street connection. Uh, you know, he worked on Wall Street. Uh, and you know, from so from the beginning, uh, you know OSS and CIA, you know, were kind of connected with the elite American society and you know the wealthiest class in the Wall Street uh, tycoons. And then you know, after World War II, OSS evolved into the CIA. Um, and I believe it's yeah, it was first. Well, uh, Harry Truman intended it, you know, because he was the president, and he said later that he regretted. How the CIA evolved because it was intended more an intelligence, you know, gathering uh, organization, but evolved into an organization, you know, notorious for carrying out dirty tricks and, you know, covert manipulation and political interference and carrying out coups and training paramilitary forces. Although if you look at the history of the OSS, in a way, it's not surprising because the OSS was involved in a lot of clandestine operation in World War II, including uh, acts that would be considered terrorist acts like sabotaging rail lines and carrying out uh, assassinations, uh, you know, targeting Nazi. You know, at the time, most would support it because it was targeting the Nazis, but it were the same methods, you know, that the CIA would use. And, and a lot of those OSS operatives went on to work for the CIA. And they had expertise in, I guess, you call the the dark, you know, dark clandestine arts that they would apply for the CIA on the front line of the Cold War. And then the, in the CIA, they recruited some ex-Nazi. You know, because the target was the Soviet Union, uh, there were some valuable Nazis. You know, like Reinhard Gellin was a Nazi spy master who had all this knowledge about the communist movement in in the Soviet Union and Eastern Europe. So the CIA actually recruited him uh and i think that had a very negative influence to have these nazis you know, like gallon and his network within the cia was very negative uh, and also the Gellin was pushing because uh, you know he he had to play up the threat of communism so he would be recruited you know so he could package himself as somebody valuable to the cia because otherwise he was going to the gallows for war crime this is a grade a nazi war criminal so the Cold War saved him, and he, you know, promoted a lot of the misinformation. I mean, one feature of the CIA throughout its history that we see up to today is promoting misinformation to the public and, you know, false threats or false fears about threats uh, that justify foreign intervention. And Gellin was a master of that with regard to the Soviet Union, you know, 1940s. And some of it was self-serving because without the Cold War. He would have gone to to jail and been hung for his crimes in world war ii and we see you know william burns i think we discussed this on the radio that one thing the cia is doing very actively in the war in ukraine is promoting disinformation and propaganda uh to the uh, targeting the united states public um and and again that's deeply embedded in their history to infiltrate the media and to spread uh, you know propaganda to support foreign military interventions or to support the growth of their own budgets being necessary against this evil enemy whose threat is played up.
0: are you saying that the CIA was created with good intentions and very quickly went bad?
1: Um, I don't think the well uh on two levels Uh, on one level i don't think the intentions were good because the the united states evolved as a capitalist empire uh you know from the early period of the 20th century and and especially after world war ii the u.s really replaced the british empire so i mean the u.s is playing an imperial role in the world and the cia uh is at the forefront of that and i mean this imperial foreign policy of the united states is driven by the wealthy financial elites of the country on Wall Street, and uh, the, you know, uh, leading figures in the CIA in its early history were all, many of them had background on Wall Street. So, uh, and they're really upholding the interests of the capitalist class, and that's why they pushed this Cold War narrative, and the Russian threat, because any socialist government or left-wing government threatened their economic interests. You know, a uh, policy of nationalization is what they didn't want, because they wanted to open up uh, other countries so they could um you know wall street could carry out investments in those countries and they can buy up the the natural resources so in that aspect i don't think there's any good intention uh although as far as truman yeah he did say i mean every country has to have an intelligence agency they have to have some information uh about what's going on in the world uh and i, I think there is creating the argument that if 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 leaders are presented with good uh, information and good analysis about political developments. In other countries, they can craft better policies. So, so in that respect, I mean, it's inevitable that a CIA type of agency would have been created. And if it stuck to the intelligence gathering and political analysis, then it would have been fine. But
0: how big or how influential is the CIA today?
1: I think it's – it's well, the CIA now is only one of 16 other major intelli- – I think what's changed since the 40s is that uh, many other intelligence agencies have sprung up. And then you have offshoots like the National Endowment for Democracy, basically an offshoot of the CIA, which focuses a lot on the political propaganda uh, and supporting media and – Opposition movements in countries that the United States targets for regime change. Uh, And and the NED was formed in the 1980s because the CIA had got a lot of bad publicity. Uh, So, you know, they had to form like an offshoot with a nice sounding name. So, not all of this is now run out of Langley. You know, there's offshoots and there's other intelligence agencies working that work in collaboration with the CIA. Um, So, but it is a very powerful entity. You know, it's still a dominant among the intelligence agencies. And as we were discussing, like they play a very influential role in Ukraine, for instance. Uh, they've been, they even have a whole floor, apparently, in the Ukrainian intelligence service main headquarters. Uh, so that gives an indication that they're very powerful in, in Ukraine, which is a, obviously a major uh, focal point for U.S. foreign policy intervention right now.
0: You mentioned the National Endowment for Democracy, and you always see their name popping up where where you see revolutions.
1: <clears throat> yes, they've been supporting color revolutions uh, for decades now, and that's their technique. Yeah, they uh, they're very skilled at propaganda and making it seem like it's this pro-democratic uprising, great moral crusade, and they often enlist nation's youth, and they frame it in a very you know, progressive way, that they're on the side of the progressive forces. Uh, but often these color revolutions yeah, have been, like in Eastern Europe, they've been designed to uh, overthrow uh, uh, leaders that lean toward Russia or pro-Russian leaders, uh, stall leader that would allow for NATO expansion. And around the world, it's really designed to install leaders that will allow for American corporate uh, interests to uh, gain uh, power in that country and to exploit their natural resources.
0: So the CIA's heyday is probably around the Cold War period. I'm thinking of the Bay of Pigs, for example.
1: Yeah, I think the early successes from their point of view of the CIA were the 1953 Iran coup, where the CIA succeeded in overthrowing Mohammed Mosaddegh, who was a nationalist leader uh, who was moving to nationalize the oil. um, And he was overthrown in the CIA coup led by Kermit Roosevelt, uh, who later became an executive with Gulf Oil. And the oil companies, you know, reaped a bonanza under the Shah, who replaced Mohammed Mosaddegh after the CIA coup. You know, and they paid criminals to protest against Mosaddegh and spread propaganda about him and work with the military to overthrow him. And that's a model that played out in many countries. And the second success of the 50 was the Guatemalan coup, the Operation PB Success, that resulted in the overthrow of Jacobo Arbenz, who was a uh, moderate liberal kind of uh, – he was in many ways actually like a Franklin Roosevelt-type leader who introduced certain reforms of the economy in Guatemala and raised the wages for workers, which was extremely low. Uh, but that uh, angered the United Fruit Company, which kind of r- ran Guatemala like a fief. And uh, yeah, he bought uh, he offered to buy up some of their fallow land, and they didn't like the settlement. You know, he wasn't a radical, but um, they didn't you know they were so greedy they they didn't like the the amount he was giving them for the foul land. and so the CIA orchestrated a coup and it plunged the country into years of of civil war and chaos. It was a disaster. Uh, it wasn't even good for United Fruit Company. One of their executives even committed suicide because the country became so violent that United Fruit couldn't operate uh, successfully there anymore. So often, yeah, these coups and CIA interventions, um, you know, yield um, terrible consequences for the subject society. Um, although that was considered a, a great success at the time, because Arben was overthrown and he didn't put up a fight, because they used the ra- manipulation over the radio. They made it seem like there was the a foreign invasion of the country, when really it was just a, a, a few hundred troops from Honduras who mounted a mutiny in the army that Arbenz could have actually easily put down. He was psyched out because the radio made it seem like there was a mass foreign invasion so they succeed in overthrowing him and then you know they were emboldened by those successes so they went on to do it in so many different countries yeah in cuba they tried to do it a more radical leader and actually che Guevara was in Guatemala because he was traveling around the country and he was a physician and that's what led to his uh, around Latin America and that what led to his radicalization and he's like (laughs) <laughs> what happened in Guatemala will never happen in Cuba. And Cuba, they were more radical and they were also more prepared. So when the Castro government, which was supported by Che Guevara, overthrew the Batista dictatorship, uh, they prepared for uh, a covert intervention by the CIA, which came in the form of, Bay of the Bay of Pigs landing, where the CIA had been training uh, anti-Castro exile in support of the... Uh, Batista regime to try and overthrow Castro, but Castro and Guevara had prepared the people to defend the revolution of Cuba, which was quite widely supported because it overthrew a, a terrible dictator, and Cuba was ruled as basically a neo-colony up to that point. Uh, so they effectively rallied their people to resist the CIA operation, but the CIA tried for years and decades to overthrow Fidel Castro and uh, they tried to assassinate him many times and then they carried out a major coup in Chile in 1973 uh... ousting the socialist Salvador Allende and imposing the fascist uh, Augusto, P- Augusto Pinochet uh... so those are some of the best known operations and what one could call the golden era and then there's the <laughs> Vietnam the CIA was very heavily involved in the Vietnam conflict and trying to prop up certain Uh, regime in south vietnam uh, and carrying out counterinsurgency operations there
0: what you're saying is that their interference in foreign governments is is rampant
1: yes absolutely yeah there's a a very good book on the topic is by william bloom called killing hope uh, american cia intervention since world war ii and he documents dozens of these interventions um, where the CIA has covertly plotting, uh coups. Or one thing I documented in a study I did was that, uh, like in Guatemala or Iran, after the U.S. succeeded and CIA succeeded in overthrowing more left-leaning governments, they sent in um, CIA um, agents working under the cover of the United States Agency of International Development police training program to fortify the police and secret police of the new client government, like the Shah uh, or the military that replaced our uh, bend in Guatemala, and yeah, it was a CIA operation to train police forces to spy on the opposition and repress dissent and, and keep the current government in power. Again, covered out, uh, carried out under the cover of the United States Agency of International Development. So that's another example of the foreign a covert intervention uh either to overthrow a regime they don't like or prop up governments that they favor the u.s government favored
0: another one that pops that that just popped into my head is uh libya
1: libya yeah there was a long campaign to overthrow muammar Gaddafi, and there was a lot of disinformation you know because Gaddafi came to power in 69 basically a, a bloodless revolution uh, the, uh, prior to him, there was a King Idris, who was basically a pawn of the Western powers, and he, you know, controlled the oil wealth for himself. And then Qaddafi came in and uh, basically nationalized the oil field, uh, and he allowed foreign oil companies uh, uh, to carry out exploration. So when Qaddafi came in, he nationalized the oil and used the revenue not for uh, you know, enrichment of his uh, friends like uh, Idris, but to develop Libya's economy or you know, to invest in infrastructure, education, health care. And Libya evolved under his rule into the best economy in Africa with some of the best social indicators. And they had free education, and the government even paid students to study abroad so long they would come back and work to develop the economy and country. Uh, But, you know, the CIA, he also kicked out – the U.S. had a military base under King Idris, and he abolished that base. So the U.S. had a vendetta against him from the beginning because of the oil and because of the military base. So the CIA was involved for years in the regime change operation that finally succeeded in 2011. And yeah, the CIA had spread a lot of disinformation that even that he was supplying his soldiers with Viagra to commit rapes, and that was uh, found to be false. Then they claim Russia did that as well, and that was false too. They recycled the same lies uh, in different uh, contexts.
0: The CIA have never liked Russia.
1: <laughs> no, they have not. Been, well, that war predates the CIA, as uh, I detail in a book I wrote called The Russians Are Coming Again. Uh, from the time of the Russian Revolution in 1917. Actually, in the 19th century, the U.S. uh, had very good relations with Russia, and Abraham Lincoln got along uh, fabulously with the Tsar, and Russia was even helping Lincoln uh, during the American Civil War. But uh, uh, when the Russian Bolshevik Revolution occurred in 1917, the Communist government took hold, the U.S. actually invaded Russia, and that uh, ushered in, uh, you know, a decade-long Cold War and efforts to undermine the Soviet uh, Union. And the CIA, yeah, uh, you know, infiltrated Russia. Was trying to support dissident elements during the Soviet period. And in Eastern Europe, like in the for, uh, late '40s, '50s, there was an operation called Rollback, where they were supporting many of them were fa- uh, fascist collaborators in World War II and, and Nazis. Uh, like um, the Organization of Ukrainian Nationalists. The CIA supported them, and they tried to uh, 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 fly in uh, agents who would carry out uh, sabotage and try and spark a revolution against the pro-communist governments that were being set up in countries like ukraine and elsewhere uh, in eastern europe um, in the early years of the cold war so that's just an example uh, of the anti-soviet operations that were being carried out
0: well while you are there in that region um, what is the cia's current involvement in ukraine
1: uh, it's very extensive. And yeah, really, there's a continuity in the kinds of forces they lie with. And, you know, I, I read some of the memoirs of um, CIA personnel who were involved in those operations in the 40s and 50s. You know, and often they'll write their memoir because they know maybe uh, they might pass away soon and they want to uh, spill their chest about what they did. And one, I remember Harry Rositsky, he said. You know, we supported every thug or fascist, <laughs> every son of a bitch, you know, so long as he was not a, a communist. So, I mean, they were really uh, frank that they were supporting some very unsavory elements. And, I mean, he also admitted that it was all propaganda, you know, that uh, you know everything that was being said about the Soviet Union was false in the United States. They gave really a false picture about it. Um, and, you know, and, yeah, there is a lot of continuity because the U.S. and CIA are supporting very unsavory elements in, in Ukraine today who are extremely, you know, anti-Russian and who invoke the legacy of the people the CIA support in the 40s and 50s, the Ukrainian nationalists, the organization of Ukrainian nationalists, who are basically fascist and Nazi collaborators and have sympathy with Nazi ideology, uh, and that's who the CIA is supporting. And CIA, yeah, they have a uh, apparently they have a whole wing in the uh, uh, Ukrainian intelligence service headquarters, and the Ukrainian intelligence service has been running a Phoenix style operation. The Phoenix program was a major CIA program in Vietnam to basically identify. Uh, subversives, you know, who are against the U.S.-installed government, and to spy on them and to um, to develop blacklists and to hunt them down and kidnap them, and often they ended up being tortured or assassinated, and many of the people who were caught in these police dragnets, you know, they work in collaboration with local intelligence forces and, and, and police, and they established these dragnets. And many were people targeted were civilian officials, even mayors and members of city council, uh, or governors who are identified as against the you know uh, or or pro in that in the case of Vietnam pro Viet Cong or Vietnamese communists. Um, in the Ukraine case, they're targeting people who are affiliated with parties that were banned because the Zelensky government banned 12 political parties. Um, and many of those parties, some are, the, the Communist Party was banned, the Socialist Party, you know, and ironically, they attack uh, Russia for being, you know, in the propaganda and an authoritarian state. Now, there are, I, I agree that there are authoritarian features in the Russian state, but uh, in Russia, the Communist Party is legal. In Ukraine, is not legal. Uh, in fact, in Russia, the Communist Party is the leading opposition party. But in Ukraine, it's banned, and there are 12 parties that are banned. And those parties include parties that support conciliation with Russia. Uh, so those are the people being hunted down, members of those parties. So uh, you you could uh, be a victim of these programs just for uh, becoming part of a political party that was very legal prior to the Maidan coup and, and the U.S. involvement. And the CIA is working with the uh, intel, uh, Ukrainian Intelligence Service to... Uh, You know, render this campaign more efficient to develop the blacklist, to develop the intelligence, and then to target people who are identified as subversives through, and many are being kidnapped and murdered. There are many reports of journalists being murdered of mayors of towns being murdered. There was an article in the New York Times that discussed the special commando units of Ukraine, uh, an offshoot of the Ukrainian intelligence service that were planting car bombs in police stations uh, in town that were pro-Russian. So these are acts of terrorism. And the Phoenix program was a state terrorist operation uh, run by the CIA. And uh, unfortunately, the CIA really evolved into a, a terrorist organization, and there's a, a close symbiosis between the CIA and organized crime that was documented in the Church Committee hearings, which ex- was a congressional hearing to expose CIA abuse in the Cold War led by Frank Church, and they had high-ranking member of the Mafia testify and admit that they worked with the CIA to kill Castro, to try and kill Castro, for example. So unfortunately. CIA uh, started carrying out uh, terrorist acts in collaboration with with mafia elements and that's what we see in Ukraine and and they're supporting far-right neo-Nazi groups like they did in the 40s and 50s.
0: The interesting thing here is whether or not you support left-wing or right-wing politics, one thing is for certain, these guys are anti-sovereignty.
1: Absolutely. Uh, and that's what we see, uh, you know, they're intervening in countries everywhere in the world uh, to undermine their governments they don't like. Yeah, and, and sometimes the, the governments they target uh, are not always left. It's really more governments, uh, a lot of cases it's, it's more socialist governments, but it could also be governments that take independent stand uh, in their foreign policy or in the management of their economic affairs. Those are the government they target for regime change, whether on the left or the right. Um, and there, yeah, there's just a, a, you know, you'd have to read the Bloom book. There's case after case. And unfortunately, the results are often horrible uh, for those countries. And yeah, there have been a few dissidents like Philip Agee uh, served in the CIA in South America. And he couldn't stomach it. Like he saw, you know, he worked in Ecuador and Uruguay, and he was helping the police to carry out torture of uh, political opponents of the government, and to launch coups and do all kinds of legal things. And at some point, he said, "This is illegal. I can't do this." And he wrote an expose called "Inside the Company," uh, and he was trying to end this. He thought that they should be prosecuted, and this was against U.S. and international law. And the CIA had to be abolished and a new intelligence agency developed that would abide by the law.
0: Do you know if the CIA has been involved at all in my own country, um, South Africa? That's a
1: very good question, Uh, and yeah, I do know, yes, they have. In fact, I have an article that will be coming out in Covert Action about Nelson Mandela because he was targeted by the CIA, and in fact, uh, you know, he was public enemy number one because uh, as a young man, he was, I mean, he was part of the African National Congress and he was uh, affiliated with the more radical wing in his youth of the ANC, which was branded as a communist uh, organization. Many, I think, were communists. And um, the Ricard brothers, actually, I knew about this for a long time. This was reported in Time, time Magazine the last couple of years. There were some articles about it. I knew about it long before because I used to teach at a college in Pennsylvania. And the guy with an office next to me was the nephew of Donald Ricard, who was a CIA agent. And he was the CIA agent. Who was involved in the operation against mandela and the cia provided a lot of the information to the south african security services that led to mandela's arrest uh, when he was first arrested and then he ended up spending 27 years on robin island and his case i think illuminate that there was a very close connection between the cia and the south african intelligence service during the cold war during the apartheid years and I think South Africa was valued because of its, its mineral wealth, but as a bastion of anti-communism in the Cold War. And the CIA was concerned about, you know, communist or socialist governments like in Congo and and other uh, countries in Africa and felt they had a close ally uh, in South Africa in the Cold War years. As far as the post-Cold War, I don't know as much about that, but it wouldn't surprise me if the CIA uh, still has a, a strong influence in South African politics.
0: And just quickly, uh, while we are geographically in this region, uh, has the CIA been involved in other Southern African countries that that you might know of?
1: Oh yes, they've been involved everywhere. Uh, they were <laughs> extensively involved. Uh, <laughs> they were extensively involved in Angola in the Angolan civil war. That was a major CIA operation after Vietnam. There was a civil war after the Portuguese were overthrown in. Uh, Angola, you know, it was a colony of Portugal until the 70s, and then a, a civil war developed, and then the MPLA was a more left-leaning group that had support of Cuba and the Soviet Union, and then the U.S. was supporting UNITA, which I think also had support of the Chinese, uh, you know, because the Soviets, and sometimes the politics get a bit complicated because you had the Sino-Soviet split, and so sometimes the Chinese were at odds with the Soviets, so i believe the chinese were supporting unita and the us uh, allied with you know after nixon's uh, detente maneuver in the 70s the us was more allied with china against the soviet union so uh, so the cia was supporting unita against the mpla but you need to commit a lot of atrocities in the Civil War. They were led by Jonas Savimbi, who was an infamous warlord who recruited child soldiers. And even people in the State Department said he was a monster. And uh, so it wasn't the finest hour of the CIA. They had a lot of those cases where they support these real rogue elements. And they p- perpetuate a civil war because they were funneling arms. Uh, to help perpetuate the Civil War, which Unita was clearly losing, uh, but it took another—it took ten or fifteen years of war um, uh, for the war to finally end, and all kinds of atrocities. Uh, and it could have ended years earlier. And then I was in Zambia and a lot of, uh, i met a lot of angolan refugees from that war they went to zambia but the cia was involved in zambia because zambia had a socialist leader after they gained independence from the british in uh, 1964 they were led for uh, 25 years or so by kenneth kaunda who had nationalized in the copper mines and he was more of a socialist and I found information that the CIA was undermining him, uh, especially in the 80s. They were supporting a coup uh, attempt, and then they ended up supporting Frederick Chaluba who opened up uh, a Zambia's economy in the 1990s. Uh, became it was a very corrupt leader who stole a lot of money. Uh, so yeah, a lot of these leaders the CIA were supporting ended up being very corrupt because they were kind of cynical. You know, to lie with a foreign intelligence agency. It means it's a kind of person who really is just out for his own power and will sell out his own country and his own people. And those are the kind of leaders that the CIA ends up empowering, like we see with Zelensky, as we discussed, is basically a traitor to his own people and has no morals. Is just out for his own fame. And those are the kind of people, unfortunately, the CIA ends up often empowering, and it's terrible for the people of that country.
0: And. Just for a little bit longer, let's stay on the African continent. Were the CIA involved in Rwanda?
1: Oh yes, they were involved very centrally in Rwanda, uh, and I know quite a bit about that. I had some roommates from that country uh, in the eighties. You see, uh, Rwanda or well, Rwanda is a pathway to Congo and its mineral wealth. You know a lot of the minerals we need for our computers, uh, electronics, come from the mines in Congo. Um, and um, yeah, uh, for years, Rwanda was ruled by juvenile Habyarimana, who was a Hutu leader. And he was very, although he was closely allied with the French, although actually, I, I did a lot of archival research on, on these kind of topics. And I found in my research, you know, I visited different Presidential libraries uh, across the United States, and I believe that the Lyndon Johnson Library, I found information that mana was initially actually supported by the CIA because because Rwanda they had a a battle between the Hutu and the Tutsi. You know they were ruled by the Belgians, and then the Hutu and Tutsi ended up fighting. And initially in the 60s, the U.S. sided with the Hutu. Because they thought that the Tutsi were more allied with Maoist China, and they thought that the Tutsi were agents of the Chinese, so they supported Mana when he first came in, because he was Hutu, and he came in and they uh, they they killed a lot of the Tutsi and expelled them. Then the Tutsi remobilized, but over time the CIA had a falling out with Habir Manna, and he be, and they said he. Uh, they didn't like how he was managing the economy and more state run economy. And he ended up aligning with the French. The French really uh, ended up supporting him uh, extensively. So the US and, and UK uh, began supporting Tutsi exile. The, the Tutsi were forced out of the country, and the Hutu dominated a country under Habir They migrated to Uganda and some neighboring country, but the ones that were key were in Uganda. And there was a group around Paul Kagame, uh, Tutsi exiles, and the uh, U.S. and U.K. ended up supporting them. And there was an American named Roger Winter who worked for the – they use – the CIA uses relief. Aid uh, uh, agencies as a cover. He worked for the uh, I forget the specific name, something Refugee Council, uh, the big you know Refugee relie- uh, Relief Relief uh, Organization. He was like the head of that organization, but he was operating under CIA cover, and they financed journals of the Tutsi, uh, and they financed uh, they brought them together in conferences in you know in exile, uh, even in the United States, so they could finance. The, and helped raise money for Tutsi exile, some living in the United States, to finance Kagame's group so they could take back power in Uganda. And uh, the ambassador, in 1990 Kagame, so Kagame was a Tutsi exile leader and he was actually a very bad leader. They, they had, the exiles had a better leader named Fred Rig- Rigwema, uh, who was actually a good guy and Kagame had him murdered. Kagame is an evil man. And uh, he took control over the Tutsi exile group, and he was very close with Ugandan President Yoweri Museveni, who uh, the CIA also supported in Uganda. And the CIA in winter helped, I believe, to coordinate Kagame's invasion of Rwanda uh, in 1990 that set off the whole conflict. And the U.S. ambassador uh, an example of how the CIA is sometimes at odds with official U.S. government policy in the State Department, because the U.S. State Department in Uganda warned um, that this was an illegal invasion and that they should close the border, but he was ignored. And there was a study uh, that showed that U.S. uh, uh, aid to Uganda increased like 10 times in the late 80s, early 90s as this invasion took place, because they were bankrolling it. And Winter was helping to coordinate it. And that's how the whole conflict started in Rwanda, because he invaded to overthrow the Habirumana government. And then there were peace talks in Tanzania that could have resolved the Hutu-Tutsi issue and and some kind of power-sharing arrangement was being worked out. But Kagame has shot down the aircraft of Habirumana to take power, uh, and he was supported all along uh, by the CIA. And then he... He committed a lot of the massacre, the Rwandan genocide. They blame it all on the Hutu, but actually, he killed Kagame and the the Tutsi Rwandan Patriotic Front, really killed a lot of the people. Uh, And then they were the ones that invaded and and plundered the Congo. But he's been a, a, you know, but it was a coup for the US and and UK because they got their boy Kagame. They even called him an FBI agent who said he was America's boy. Uh, the boy of the CIA and the British MI6, uh, against the French. It's like an old colonial rivalry. And the US-UK scored a major victory by getting Kagama in there, but millions of people of Rwandan and Congolese died in the process. So,
0: What is it that the CIA is trying to achieve by interfering all over the place? Are they, are they looking for countries that are just under the thumb of the US government?
1: Yeah, they want to increase the power uh, of the, I mean, they're, I guess, agents of the United States Empire and the United States capitalist elite. Because, I mean, they, you know, um, even a lot of their front corporations receive funding through, you know, very wealthy individuals, uh, uh, you know, like the, you know, extremely powerful and wealthy family like the Rockefeller family historically uh, supported the CIA and helped finance, uh, or fun, you know, CIA front corporations. Uh, so they're, they're really, uh, and, you know, these, uh, the, the United States is really more of an oligarchy dominated by wealthy, um, corporations and a family like Rockefeller who buy the, you know, buy off politicians, uh, who end up sanctioning, you know, CIA operations and like Rockefellers, you know, what they want is you know countries opened up for their investment opportunities uh, so the CIA helps open com- uh, countries up to US economic penetration um, and, and interests like you know oil because Rockefeller you know, owned oil uh, major you know, investment in oil and the ExxonMobil came out of the Rockefeller uh, Standard oil. And um, you know, Wall Street has investments in oil and uh, resource extraction industries, uh, other major industries. So the Wall Street is behind it, and their goal is to open open countries up to uh, foreign investments, and um, you know, expand American power uh, around the world, American empire.
0: How is the CIA funded, and by extension, how autonomous? Is the CIA?
1: Well, a lot of their funding does come from uh, uh, money laundering and criminal activities, including drug smuggling, you know, off the books operations. And in the past, like they were, they uh, were connected with uh, banks like BCCI, Bank of Commerce and Credit International, basically a money laundering bank that uh, was involved uh, in laundering money uh from criminal activities and and the cia that that they could use for black operation i mean they have a huge budget but a lot of their operations are so secret uh even from the congress or maybe in some cases even from the president and they rely on on um black source of funding and certain banks um that are connected with with criminal elements and they do carry out rogue criminal operations um that generate revenues um so um yeah the, the BCCI is, is something is one example another is the Nugan hand bank because there was a lot of drug smuggling like during the vietnam war the cia was allied with drug smuggling elements in laos uh in thailand and thailand and south vietnam and the Nugent Hand Bank was set up in Australia uh, to launder drug proceeds, and in the 80s beside BCCI under the whole operation of Arkansas overseen by Bill Clinton when he was the governor of Arkansas uh, where they were running arms and drugs out of MENA, Arkansas in the western part of the state to the Contras in Nicaragua and Central America, and a lot of the money from the proceeds from the drugs was being laundered in local area banks. The Worthen Bank was one, the first National Bank of MENA, and a lot of them were owned by a guy named Jackson Stevens, or set up by him, and he was also involved in setting up uh, BCCI in the United States, and he had very close connection with the CIA and organized crime elements. So um, these are just some examples I'm, uh, I'm giving of what is known about some money laundering operations. Uh, how they, you, you know, laundered money through uh, rogue banks uh, from drug trafficking and arms smuggling uh, to raise revenues for for black operations.
0: Is the CIA independent of the, the U.S. government? Do they operate um, with their own rules? Well, that's uh, in a way a complicated
1: question uh, to answer Uh, on some level. Well, yes, uh, is that in a way they become more powerful than the government, uh, that nobody in the government can control them. Yeah. So firstly, like what I was saying, there are uh, aspects of the CIA that just carry out these operations independently, basically, and they're raising money independently uh, and through criminal operations um, and there's no oversight. Uh, uh, and there's no accountability or, or punishment if they violated the law. Now, you had the Church Committee hearing in the 1970s because of uh, exposés about the Phoenix program in Vietnam and some other nefarious activities in Cuba and Latin America. Public outrage led, to, led a group of uh, congressmen uh, led by Senator Frank Church to initiate congressional hearings to expose CIA abuses, and um, the CIA at that point had to go into damage control mode and was willing to admit to certain things uh, while they were still covering up other things. But that brought you know huge public awareness about the CIA abuses. So the consequences was to uh, – and Church was uh, trying to set up a system of, of transparency and accountability. And he established – the committee established the Senate – a a special intelligence committee to monitor CIA operations um, and to report, you know, CIA uh, violations of the law. However, what uh, transpired is that that committee basically um, ended up being like a rubber stamp. It was supposed to be like a crusading committee that would continue the work of church, but instead it was headed by the the CIA was able to co-opt members of Congress, including Joe Biden, who was a member of that committee. But he uh, basically rubber stamped the CIA operation and refused to uh, really investigate uh, or expose what they were doing, used the power uh, he had on that committee to uh, you know, because the, the committee has the power of subpoena and had the uh, you know, ability really to expose corrupt activity. Uh, but Biden became a yes-man, you know, and it served him well. He be, uh, ultimately led him into the White House. So it served his own career very well. But uh, he's an example of the, you know, basically co-optation uh, by the CIA of members of Congress, Uh, And uh, who knows how they did it? It could have been through blackmail. It could have been through uh, guarantee of financial support and political campaigns and advance career advancement. Uh, The the CIA has, I believe, penetrated Congress. Uh, There are even allegations that some members of Congress were were tied with were were um, were in the CIA or um, you know covertly had a kind of secret life as a spy. Uh, I mean, now there are some members of Congress who were in the CIA. And once you're in the CIA, you're always in the CIA. And one is Abigail Spanberger, Virginia representative, is a CIA agent, as well as uh, Alyssa Slotkin. There are at least two uh, Democrats. Many now are Democrats. Um, so th- they penetrate. You know, and, and William Barr is, uh, was in the CIA, he was a CIA lawyer. His father was a CIA lawyer. So they penetrate the different branches of the government to look after their interests and to ensure that they're um, protected, even though this congressional committee had been set up to try and uh, expose them and and kind of rein them in. It didn't work effectively because the people on that committee were either co-opted or scared uh, to challenge them in any way, and so they could get away with uh, many, many things.
0: You've hinted a couple of times at their darker operations or the more clandestine projects that the CIA have been involved in over the years. And I think it goes without saying that there are simply too many that people simply don't know about. But I guess over time, uh, some of their operations trickle into the zeitgeist, such as uh, MK Ultra. that's become a fairly well-known operation of theirs, as well as Paperclip, as well as uh, – I'm trying to think of a few others now um, – Chaos as well.
1: Yeah, some of those were exposed because of the church committee. And I've called in in the pages of Covert Action Magazine for a new church committee, uh, which is urgently needed now, because I think the CIA has become ever more aggressive in interfering in American politics, as we saw with the Russiagate affair. Um, But, you know, related to those operations that we know about, yeah, MKUltra was a sinister program of drug testing. Uh, that was carried out uh, because it was believed that the Chinese uh, were brainwashing American soldiers and had developed, uh, you know, interrogation techniques using drugs to brainwash people. Uh, so the CIA had to get the upper hand on that, and they did all kinds of unethical tests using drugs and you know, psychological manipulation of uh, people. And that was the uh, MK Ultra operation, MK. Uh, A chaos was to spy on Americans, spy on their mail, and that's a violation of of the U.S. Constitution. Uh, And yeah, Paperclip was another sinister operation to bring in Nazis, like what I was describing with Reinhard Gellin. They recruited him under Paperclip uh, to join the CIA. And under Paperclip, many Nazi scientists were recruited uh, because of their expertise in missile and bomb building. And the head of the uh, American space program, Werner von Braun, was a Nazi in World War II who had developed the V2 rocket using slave Jewish labor, and uh, he was recruited under Paperclip and was the first head of of NASA. And I think they also recruited the Nazi head of, of germ warfare operations, Dr. Kurt Blom. Uh, so some real, you know, sick people who are grade A war criminals were. Uh, broad uh, and and assumed, uh, you know, prominent positions in U.S. weapons uh, systems development and other uh, military uh, programs in the Cold War because of Paperclip. So, yeah, the CIA is just involved with some of the most sinister things imaginable.
0: And of course, the, the most obvious propaganda campaign was Mockingbird.
1: Yeah, that was a massive campaign, and some of that came out because of a an article by uh, Bernstein in in Rolling Stone in 1977, where um, it was admitted that you know dozens of media, you know, very prominent journalists, had worked for the CIA, uh, and the CIA really penetrated the major media. And there's another important book uh, called uh, by Francis Stoner Saunders that was about um, how the CIA had taken control over not just, uh, you know, print journalism and newspapers, but also, uh, you know, uh, intellectual magazines uh, and journals like the Partisan Review and this, uh, I forget all of them, all the influential you know, intellectual journals of the Cold War years uh, were funded by the CIA and they were able to shape the message you know, to promote a uh, Cold War agenda. Uh, so they really had a huge reach as far as intellectual life, and also they penetrated higher education, uh, and many you know, universities like Harvard and Yale uh, were penetrated by the CIA, and so they drove curriculums in universities um, as well through the Cold War, and that really continues right up through the present.
0: I suppose the elephant in the room or rather the panda in the room is an entire conversation can be had on the CIA's anti-China propaganda.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, Well, yeah, and I was reviewing a book um, that discussed how the CIA was involved from the, you know, the Chinese Communist Revolution took root in 1949. The US government had supported Chiang Kai shek. You know, China had a civil war and they were supporting the nationalists under Chiang Kai shek. And when the communists took over, Chiang Kai shek went to Taiwan and the CIA was, you know, they set him up as leader there and the CIA was supporting him. And this book I was discussing uh, detailed the role of, of two pilots who were captured. You know, the, the CIA was running. Black operations into Communist China, similar to the Operation Rollback in Eastern Europe I described a bit earlier, where they were running agents with the goal of sabotage and trying to stir up revolution against the Communist government. And that's what they were doing in China. They were running agents from Burma and based in Taiwan in clandestine missions to try and foment unrest and destabilize China's new Communist government led by Mao Zedong. And there were two pilots. Uh, uh, one was a, and they came from upper class families. One was a graduate of Yale, and another, Boston University. And they were on one of these missions, but they were captured by the Chinese communists. And they spent like 20 years in jail, uh, in prison in China uh, before they got out. And it was, you know, their capture uh, basically blew the whistle on these covert uh, programs to destabilize uh, China. So that's been going on since 1949, and it continues today. Uh, and you know, the propaganda, you know, uh, connected with those efforts is an effort to demonize the Chinese Communist government. And I think one of the propaganda campaigns is targeting the you know, claiming that China is committing genocide uh, in the Xinjiang province against the Uyghur. And I mean, it's hard to know exactly what has gone on there, but. And there may have been some atrocities uh, committed by the Chinese government, but the context is firstly removed because there was a Muslim rebellion in that province uh, that was supported by foreign jihadist elements. Um, and historically, the CIA was actually supporting uh, Muslim insurgents there to destabilize China, and then uh, you know China uh, set up these. Uh, Camps or schools uh, to rehabilitate Muslim uh, extremists and provide them job training, and that uh, then they're charged with committing genocide. Uh, and you know, I, I, a lot of people have tra- who have traveled there have you know talked to many people yeah. who said things were calm there and yeah. didn't report on any of these atrocities. So it, it's really hard for us if we don't live there to know what's going on. But it looks you know like there's a lot of fabrication going on and it's part of a propaganda campaign and the CIA had been behind that just like with Russia. they plan articles in the media and it's just very one-sided. I mean we know that Russia and China you know their governments uh, are not perfect. I mean any large country there're going to be some injustices perpetrated by the government but the propagandist just you know focuses on all the negative, plays it up, maybe either embellishes, or completely fabricates atrocity story. We've seen this with both Russia and China. Blames the Russian or Chinese government uh, for atrocities they don't commit, for interference they don't commit, and never writes anything positive about those countries. So you get such a dark view. If, if uh, uh, you know if you're living in the United States. And and frankly, most people I I meet uh, and talk to whether friends, family or acquaintances believe in the propaganda. They think China and Russia Mm -hmm. are horrible. They think Putin is the devil and uh, they really know nothing about those countries. They don't know anything about their history and politics and they think only negative things about They think it's a dark place. Uh, and so they end up supporting military interventions against those governments. Of the U.S. is carrying out in Ukraine via proxy, and they're poised to do in Taiwan. Uh, and uh, the, the CIA is behind that propaganda, and that, uh, that that builds hate toward those countries and just one-sided presentation and, and political analysis. Uh, and the National Endowment for Democracy is a key organization they support you know what they do is they recruit dissidents from those countries who have a certain grievance against the government and they may pay them nicely or set them up with a good job and that gives them a, and then now they have a platform the NED sponsoring their platform to denigrate those governments their government because of their private grievance against it, and they're often uh, lack balance in their assessments or they, they, they promote uh, fabrication. They're, they're basically paid assets and they spread their propaganda in the media and uh, school, uh, educations. The NED will host conferences, giving them a platform, and that, that's how they operate. And it spreads basically disinformation and a demonized view of those countries and builds hate and support for military campaign or regime change operations, which have been in place. In China, it's been in place since 1949, uh, and in Russia, it's been in place since, since 1917, regime change. With a brief interlude in the 90s when they had Yeltsin, who was more of a patsy, uh, and then when Putin was more again more of a nationalist, he was targeted like the soviet leaders and you know the cia for for decades has been recruiting psychologists and top minds at uh, manipulation for instance in the guatemalan coup i described i believe it was coordinated in part by uh, a nephew of sigmund freud you know the brilliant psychologist uh, edward bernays who worked you know in top uh, madison avenue you know advertising firms and you know the advertising industry is brilliant at manipulating people uh, based on emotion, to buy products they may not need uh, or want, uh, really. So uh, they use the same techniques as in advertising, and they use yeah you know, they employ top psychologists to manipulate people. And one of the techniques the pro- propaganda is, ba- is rooted in the philosophy of Joseph Goebbels, a Nazi propagandist. Who was a, a, an evil genius and he wrote something like 10 books and gobel said simply you know the best propaganda you re- repeat the lie over and over again and people come to believe it so you repeat you know uyghur genocide You just shout uyghur genocide china's committing genocide and you, you promote the negative images of china and you know hollywood is very powerful the propaganda organ because people don't think they're watching propaganda they think it's entertainment they're going to the movies but, you know these movies often perpetrate stereotypes about the chinese or the russians you know the russians are always a bad character and it's a dark place uh i mean there was egregious uh propaganda with this film about north korea where they celebrated the assassination of the north korean leader but there you know that film with seth rogan was just an embarrassment in promoting crude stereotypes but A lot of people watch that and they buy into these stereotypes. And that that may have been a little more on the crude side, but there are more sophisticated films uh, that advance these stereotypes uh, in a more subtle, uh, but yet more sophisticated way. So I wouldn't underestimate the power of Hollywood uh, and the phenomenon you're describing. And I've observed that, yeah, both for China and for Russia. And yeah, they'll pick on a particular leader and make him out like he's he's the devil. And they did that with Gaddafi, they did it with with Castro, they did it with Saddam Hussein, uh, they've done it with Putin. And um, you know, and then, you know, anybody who has anything positive to say about this leader, oh, you're a Putin lover, yes. you support, you know, genocide. You're a shill. Exactly. And yeah, Putin is not a left-wing. It showed they don't always target. It's not necessarily left-right, because Putin is like really more of a center-right leader, although he's more of a nationalist. So he's a target because he's a nationalist who basically reasserted Russian control over his economy. And that's the kind of leader they they target. Like Gaddafi did that in Libya, Castro.
0: Yeah, you're talking about Hollywood. and. I mean that is a great example. I think there's a movie called Argo, which is based on the actual CIA operation.
1: Yeah, and I should note that. And covert action did an article about this. Is that the CIA? You know, they're 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 not stupid. They years ago they set up an office in the CIA to work a liaison office with Hollywood, and to promote a positive view of the CIA. I think it they set that up in the early '80s because in the '70s there were some films starting to come out that were very negative about the cia and they were worried about you know public relations so they set up this liaison office and argo is cited and there are a couple of books written about this and there's a website by a british guy named secker uh this is very good and he goes into detail on some of the films and how the cia helped in their development and he argo is one of his case studies and that prevent presented I don't think I saw that film, but I read about it on his website. It presented the CIA very favorably, uh, even in Iran, which is one of the darkest uh, episodes of its interventions. Oh, and I should add one thing before you go: that Ben Affleck. You know, they recruit certain actors who start with, with The star of that film, I believe, was Ben Affleck, who's a very prominent actor. And he was recruited by the CIA, and he was brought on tours of the CIA, and I think he was recruited as a CIA asset. So they actually recruit prominent Hollywood actors.
0: When when you watch Netflix or doesn't matter whatever, if you watch anything to, anything to do with the CIA or FBI, they're always presented almost always presented favorably.
1: Yes, and that has to do in part with this liaison office that the CIA set up, and they. Even monitor scripts, and the Pentagon has its own office uh, because there was a shift. Yeah, because in the Vietnam area, society was was becoming very critical uh, of U.S. foreign policy and the CIA, and Hollywood, I guess, was trying to tap into that and presented uh, the CIA quite negatively in some movies. So they had to reverse that, and they you know play a very active role. I guess they were able to become very influential. and I think a lot of directors maybe fear they could never get funding for their film if they present the CIA negatively. Uh, and actually, uh, you know I think Oliver Stone had some bad experiences and it was very difficult to get his film produ- uh, film platoon uh, made because it, it presented uh, negative things about the US military. But I guess because he was such a great director, he had uh, some ways of getting that made and it was very success. But if you're not Oliver Stone, and if you're a young uh, filmmaker trying to get started, doing a negative film about the CIA is is a a career ender. And people know that, so they don't even try.
0: I mentioned the FBI. What is the relationship between the FBI and the CIA? That's a
1: good question. Uh, Historically, they have not always They've been adversary. They've hated each other. I mean, while Bill Donovan and J. Edgar Hoover did not get along, I know that, uh, and Hoover didn't get along with other CIA directors. I think they were, they were both, uh, you know, competitive with each other, and uh, you know, the FBI, like in the '40s, when the U.S. carried out foreign military operation and spying. It was the FBI that was centrally involved, but then they lost that out when the CIA was established, and they uh, were focused only on domestic affairs. And the CIA is not supposed to be involved domestically in any spying or surveillance, but as we know with Operation Chaos, they have. So, I think there are turf wars between them quite frequently. Uh, they may collaborate in, in some projects, certainly.
0: What were black sites?
1: <laughs> these were sites, you know, set up uh, during the War on Terror, I think, where they carried out torture. Yeah, I mean, that's the odious aspect of the CIA's history that dates back to MK Ultra, where they developed all these manipulation techniques for interrogation and torture techniques. And then they kind of went uh, crazy in the War on Terror, and they set up these block sites for torture, uh, where they basically carrying out experiments on Muslim prisoners, and uh, yeah, there were CIA black sites in Afghanistan. In fact, I just uh, reviewed a documentary about a Guantanamo Bay prisoner, and he was sent to one of those black sites. He was, had some kind of passport violation. They suspected him of being a terrorist. And first he was rendered, you know, he was basically kidnapped and sent to Morocco, where he was tortured by the local authorities. Then they flew him to Afghanistan. The CIA black site in Afghanistan, near the background air base, and he was subjected to torture where they blasted music. It was dark, 24 hours a day, and they were blasting different music all the time. Uh, it was psychological torture, and he was like uh, really uh, messed up because of that. And then they took him to Guantanamo Bay, which I guess is the ultimate black site. They would keep them in isolation. And, um, you know, uh, th- there's actually a recent report, a, finally they allow the U.N. observer into Guantanamo Bay, I believe an Irish woman, and lawyer, and she found uh, horrible abuses, that they, you know, violation, uh, complete violation of the Geneva Convention, that they were no access to visitor, their family, that they were kept in isolation, things like stress positions, uh, no exercise, no access to proper uh, health care all kinds of, uh, you know, aspects there, mistreatment there. So, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's a sorry uh, story, really. And, uh, you know, the American Psychological Association was involved in developing some of the techniques they used in interrogation that are considered to be forms of, of psychological uh, torture. So, uh, and there is collaboration, you know, with the CIA, and, you know, they penetrate, as I was saying, higher education and they co opt uh, or fund st- uh, research by psychologists who end up developing the techniques of manipulation and, and ultimately torture that are used in war zones or black sites.
0: Yeah, you mentioned the war on terror. Uh, c- could it be argued that 9 11 was a pivotal moment for the CIA?
1: Yeah, and there are you know, a lot of theory. The, full, uh, the other thing the CIA is mastering, you know, false flag operations because they're expert in in, in tricking the public and and psychological manipulation. And for years, I believe they've carried out a strategy. It was called the strategy of tension in the United States, where they may uh, initiate violent or terrorist acts uh, with the goal of uh, basically uh, forcing the public to be fearful of more terrorist attack and to live in fear of violence and terrorism. And it causes the public to suspend rational judgment and sign away constitutional liberties and support legislation uh, that uh, transformed America into a police state, or to support foreign military interventions that have no legal basis uh, and destructive wars. So uh, there's evidence that the CIA was involved in manipulation. On what level, we don't know exactly. Uh, On 9-11, the official story is not really uh sustainable uh so there's some form of cover-up uh again we don't know exactly what happened but uh, there's ground to suspect that the the cia was involved in in some manipulation as part of the strategy of tension and then the war on terror yeah was bonanza for the military industrial complex and agencies like the cia uh and you know they were able to further through control of hollywood and the media they could further kind of brainwash the public in supporting CIA excesses. Like there were a number of Hollywood movies and TV shows that rationalized torture that the CIA was carrying out. And those were shows supported by the CIA, like Fox had a show, 24, that was very popular during the early year of the war on terror. And that was supporting CIA torture. And then there was another one on Netflix, I forget the name, about CIA agents in Iran, uh, one guy was turned, but uh, it starred Claire Danes, and I can't remember the name of the show. But that was also, I believe, supported by by the CIA. So they manipulated the public into supporting horrible uh, uh, thing like you know, torture and um, yeah, you know, these kind of criminal activities that have been going on since, unfortunately, since the uh, late '40s.
0: <laughs> have the cia actually been involved in anything good?
1: <laughs> That's a good question. Uh and I tried to find a bright spot actually. Well, I'm still divided about the the you know I, I, in my book the Russians are coming again. I was like, well, there was a legit in Hungary, you know, there was legitimate disaffection with Soviet rule, uh although I've read other stuff will indicate that the Rebellion in Hungary in 1956 was led by pro-fascist elements, uh, but in my book I said, uh, well, that, that is probably a legitimate rebellion, but where was the CIA? They actually removed because they were supporting these rollback operations to go against the Soviets, but then when there was a legitimate rebellion because uh, the, the idea was you know, uh, socialism with a human face, but the CIA never supported the Hungarian rebel in 56 and allowed the Soviet to crush them with tanks. Uh, So, you know, unfortunately, I can't say anything really. I can't find too much of a silver lining. I mean, the (laughs) Tibet, you know, some feel that the Tibetan cause was justified because the CIA was supporting Tibetan Kamba rebels uh, against the Chinese communist government to destabilize them just like Muslim uh, elements. In, in Xinjiang province, and I used to think the Tibetans were the good guys. And I, I met some Tibetans, and I mean they were nice guys, and they they did endure, I think, atrocities from the Chinese government. But I also read that the Dalai Lama uh, was more of like a feudal overlord and mm. mistreated women, and that that Tibet actually developed very well under Chinese communist rule, and their economy, you know, was much better off. Uh, so. Uh, that and, and I mean, there's a clear agenda there with the Tibetan. They're trying to destabilize and weaken China. So I can't really say that that's what, a good intervention. So what are you left with? I mean, most of them are horrible. And the one we've seen in recent years are just horrible for everybody. Like countries just turn into complete failed state like Libya they're just totally destabilized they devolve into years of civil war violence gang rule islamic extremism you know slavery and the people have to flee and europe is inundated with, with people fleeing these war zones on syria compares with libya and afghanistan so i mean in our own lifetime the it's horrible but it wasn't any better in the Cold War We I mean, you had Vietnam you had the one we were describing Iran was horrible led to 25 years of uh, totalitarian rule under the Shah who set up torture facilities uh, and you know Guatemala was total disaster with military rule and violent civil war that even the uh, United Fruit Company can no longer operate uh, so I, I don't unfortunately I can't find any silver lining. And that's why I would support abolishing the CIA and developing a new intelligence agency that focuses on political analysis uh, and intelligence. And that's where I think – and I know a lot of intelligence professionals, some of whom worked in the Cold War, who are very diligent people, very bright and good people, uh, well-intentioned. And they worked on the analysis side, and they were trying to develop good understanding of of countries – and you know, reporting that to the leaders in Washington so they can develop smart policies. And unfortunately, what they told me was that it got politicized. You know, some of these people worked for years, like in the 60s, in the Vietnam era, and they said there were a lot of well-intentioned people, but it became politicized. When they would give a report uh, that would challenge a certain policy, they just dismissed the report. And that um, false reporting came in when, when Bobby Gates, uh, my friend Ray McGovern told me that the real end of the objective intelligence analysis came when Robert Gates took over the CIA and basically purged any honest analysts and promoted this you know, anti-Russia gobbledygook as gospel. And if you didn't say that, then you're basically fired. And he had to leave, Ray, the good man, Ray McGovern, and there are other good people like him who worked as political analysts in the CIA. But they purged the good ones and now it's totally politicized and corrupted so the agency should be abolished and a new one developed uh, based uh, on that ideal of uh, objective political analysts who will uh, learn about other countries to better inform leaders uh, and guide better uh, public uh, foreign policies
0: well it's obvious that the cia is not going anywhere so what do you see then as the future of the CIA?
1: Well, yeah, it's unlikely that, that, that my vision would come to pass. It would require a mass movement. Uh, the public, unfortunately, is not aware of how the CIA manipulates them, uh, manipulates public opinion, and intervene in conflict like Ukraine. I mean, most people I know uh, support have support, you know, supported the war uh, because they just – they weren't thinking about Ukraine. They didn't know anything about it. And then they woke up to the news that Putin had invaded, and they were told that this madman Putin invaded, you know, got up one day and decided to invade Ukraine, and he was next going to invade Europe. And they believed that, and uh, that's what they knew. So they, they supported what the United States was doing. They didn't know that the CIA had been in Ukraine for many years, that the CIA was behind the coup in Ukraine in 2014, that overthrew the pro-Russian leader. That plunged the country uh, into a conflict uh, that, that led to the, the. I mean, they didn't even know that there was war going on starting in 2014 and that war had started 2014. And just like people in the Vietnam era, you know, the, the anti war movement against the Vietnam War was very slow to develop. I mean, the CIA was involved in Vietnam very heavily after the after 1954. They were involved in propping up and trying to prop up the a client government of Go Dinh Diem in South Vietnam against the Ho Chi Minh government. And you know, Edward Lansdale was a key CIA agent running black operations and propaganda operations. You know, they spread atrocity stories that the North Vietnamese, you know, Vietnamese men were disemboweling women and committing all kinds of atrocities, which were false, just like they're doing today about uh, China and Russia. Uh, And they were pouring money into the secret police of Diem. Uh, But none of this was known to the American public, uh, who just viewed it as, you know, a fight against communism. And they didn't really understand how the United States got involved in Vietnam. And they were very slow to protest the war. They only started protesting when a huge number of Americans uh, got killed. And so the, the, the same thing would happen. I mean, I think Ukraine, most people are really oblivious uh, to the whole backstory. And it's only if more Americans uh, would get killed, then you'd see large protests. Uh, and those protests could lead to a change in policy. But the US government has gotten smart. They, they understand that. They don't want to repeat Vietnam. That's why they rely ever more on the CIA and other covert agencies to try and manipulate uh, political affairs in countries around the world to their liking uh, without having to involve U.S. combat troops, and they know the public won't rebel. So this, uh, or, 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 you know, and they know that they can count on members of Congress who, or because they're part of the executive branch, You know, the U.S. government was set up with a system of checks and balances with three branches of government, but Congress doesn't do its job because they've been co-opted, they've been bought off, uh And so they know they can get away with it, and the chain would only come, um, yeah, through mass mobilization and and change and and proaction in Congress, which has the power of subpoena and has the ability uh, to try and curtail the abuses of the CIA, but you'd have to have a political revolution occur.
0: Uh, We've spoken a lot about CIA interfering in external elections. Does the CIA interfere in US elections?
1: I believe so, yes. I believe the CIA uh, was behind the John F. Kennedy assassination. John F. Kennedy was uh, trying to rein in the CIA. Uh, He said he would even want to splinter into a thousand pieces. Uh, He gained the anger of people like uh, John uh, Foster and Alan Dulles. Alan Dulles was the head of the CIA and was involved in the cover-up. Uh, the assassination, I believe, Edward Lansdale and David Atley Phillips were two prominent CIA agents involved. So that's an example. They they interfered to assassinate Kennedy mm, and Johnson. They were behind.
0: What's that? And Lyndon Johnson.
1: Well, they supported Lyndon Johnson was a champion of the CIA mm. and a uh, hawk, so they favored him. And then when Robert Kennedy in '68 came to challenge Lyndon Johnson and was gonna investigate his brother's murder and was gonna again, try and rein in the CIA. Boom, they took Kennedy out. And I think any leader knew that if they challenged the CIA, uh, they would be killed. So that's a form of interference. Then you have the Russia, game. yeah, now, then if you look into the background, uh, many uh, presidents since Kennedy was killed had deep connection with the CIA and were basically stooges of the CIA. George H. W. Bush was the head of the CIA. He was a central figure in the Iran-Contra affair. He helped uh, to. Uh, he was involved in overseeing a secret team of CIA of rogue CIA agents who carried out criminal activities to raise money for black operations, including the smuggling of arms illegally to the Contras in Nicaragua, because that was banned. Congress banned U.S. aid to the Contras, who were a, a counterrevolutionary fighting a left-wing uh, Sandinista government. Aid to them was banned. George Bush and his group uh, raised black funds to uh, and illegally arm the Contras in a major covert operation of the 80s, and they were involved in drug trafficking, all kinds of criminal activity. Bill Clinton was a key figure in the Iran-Contra affair because he, with the governor of Arkansas, allowed Arkansas to be a CA proprietary where they used as a launching pad at Amina for those Black flights of arms and drugs, and he helped launder the drug money in the banks. And his friend, like Jackson Stevens, who's one of the big bankrollers of of Clinton's political career, uh, Clinton was recruited as a CIA asset in 1968 or so when he was a student at Oxford. This was uh, pointed out and admitted by Cord Meyer Jr., who was a a prominent figure in the CIA, that Clinton was a CIA asset. He was recruited with Strobe Talbot on a mission into the Soviet Union to smuggle the memoirs of Nikita Khrushchev, who was anti-Stalin. Then you have Barack Obama, whose mother was very likely in the CIA, uh, who worked in Indonesia for USAID and Ford Foundation in anti-communist operations, and was involved with um, uh, microfinance lending to pry people away from the Indonesian Communist Party and get them to support the Suharto government with the CIA had put in in a a coup so you have all these presidents who are either CIA directors assets or their family uh, worked in the CIA and were very likely there you know I mean it's not known for sure about Obama but is believed that he was a CIA asset and Leon Panetta said of Obama he gave the CIA everything it wanted when he was the president so so the CIA runs these people, and then the RussiaGate. If they don't like them, they'll manufacture a scandal, and yeah, and it's the same kind of leader they don't like. You know, they didn't like Trump for their own reason, uh, uh, you know, uh, and they manufactured the RussiaGate. And you know, the, the I had an article, and that's an example of, of political interference in, in American politics. RussiaGate, that was a manufactured scandal to brand Trump, what everyone thinks of him, he was not a Russian agent. That was entirely manufactured uh, propaganda. And the key figures in the Russia Gate was John Brennan, uh, very likely Hillary Clinton, and the Clintons have deep ties with the CIA, and Barack Obama. Although the um, Durham report, uh, I had an article that that was in part a cover-up, although it did, uh, it was a valuable report in showing the Gate to be a fraud, you know, this Durham investigation by Special Investigator John Durham, but it did not address the CIA's role in Russiagate and the role of John Brennan, the CIA director, as well as potentially Obama and, um, and Hillary Clinton and other CIA figures. So, uh, yeah, I, I think Russiagate is a prime example of CIA uh, interference in American politics.
0: Jeremy, how can I follow your work?
1: Uh, You can uh, read our magazine at www.covertactionmagazine.com, and you can visit my website at www.jeremykuzmarov.com. Yeah, and I have a book coming out on Bill Clinton. I I researched his career for many years because I've lived in Oklahoma with borders in Arkansas, uh, where he was the governor, and I did quite extensive research on the period when he was the governor and the MENA affair. And that's when I found out uh, his connection with the CIA.
0: Jeremy Kuzumrov, thank you for joining me in the trenches. My pleasure.
1: If you enjoyed this podcast, please visit supportgerm.com.